Last week's teaching was from just the verses before this, and the title of last week's teachings were Good for Nothing. Really? This was the assessment of King Hiram, who was helping significantly with Solomon's dreams and visions of building a temple for the Lord upon his father's preparation as well as his charge that Solomon do this. The fulfillment of that has happened, but there are additional works that are yet to be done. And what we looked at last week is that as close as Hiram was to Solomon's father, David, and as committed as well as he was to Solomon in this charge, he was one that had a challenge in properly assessing the value of what Solomon had given him in the region of Galilee is what has been determined. 20 cities in the region of Galilee in which Hiram surveyed the land and visited the cities and his assessment was good for nothing. Good for nothing. So we added to that, really. We personalized it as well by realizing that perhaps we have had that criticism with things that we have given or how people have measured us. It does happen. David would certainly not have been any less aware of deep criticism against him. Both in his family, for he was the youngest of the brothers who were old enough to actually be in the military. We'll take a quick brief look at a situation that parallels what we've just left off from last week. But one of the things that the theme brings to at least my heart in this is that Solomon continues to move forward. He doesn't take a step back because he's been verbally stabbed in the back. He moves forward to satisfy what ultimately is on his heart to do. And we want to take a look at that as an accomplishment. Today's title is Insulting Remarks Inspire Accomplishing Results. Insulting Remarks Inspire Accomplishing Results. So where was the insult? Well, it just happened last week or in the previous verse. Good for nothing. And now what we see is no exchange with regard to Solomon's offense. It's not presented here. It could be assumed that if that was any of us that had a subordinate, an ally, close friend, an acquaintance, employee, whatever, we would say, let the hammer fall. Let the friendship fail. Let us go our own way. 
but I will not put up with this, and I do not find it acceptable. Offense is very easy, even within the church. There can be great offense that's not necessarily malicious. Those are probably the ones that are the most difficult because things can be said. Things may be implied. But the only way to move through any of those things that affect us emotionally is to take an inventory on God's faithfulness, the charge that he has given to us, and we move through it. We let go of our tendency to control it. There may be a word that the Lord gives to us that is appropriate in a timely manner, and ultimately that there might not be a breach in our relationships. Sometimes it can be within the moment, Sometimes it's many days, if not months and years, before there can be a mutual understanding of what one person either said intentionally or didn't mean at all before there's a repair in the tear. This verse right now tells us with precision what's going on, and it says to us, And this is the reason for the labor force. You may say, that doesn't sound so significant. means that Solomon says, back to work I go. Within the church, if the least that you can indulge God in right now, it would be, there's work to do. And very often what we spend time doing is sulking when there's a work to do. I believe that sulking is a sincere expression of hurt, and I'm not mocking it. And I would be surprised if any of us have not done that. But when there's a work to do, that means that there requires of us an effort to leave behind what is our hurt and move forward into helping, to participating. You may say, who do I help? You know what? Here's, here's a good answer, and I think it's very simple. You help God. He's given us the resources to bring him glory, and in essence, it can be looked at as helping God. You say, I thought God does everything in his sovereignty and he needs no help from any of us. He doesn't need it, but he delights when we are participants in activities that bring him glory, and especially in times in which we have gotten the short end of the stick or the wagging tongue, the cut that moves against us by insult, And this is an important thing to realize. No exchange between them as far as Solomon's reaction. He takes action. Maybe that's a good phrase. Instead of reaction, how about just taking action? Lord, what would you have me do now in what remains to be done in my life? 
I'll pause there simply to say this. How I missed it, I don't know, but I discovered that a friend of mine from a long time ago passed away in February. Totally missed it. Were we near and dear friends? No. But I do believe that more than simply acquaintances, and certainly spiritually, we were. I knew this man when he was a sophomore, and I would have been a senior at the time. So we were in high school together, and I only knew him by association through a friend that brought him to a rehearsal with me. Had a band, we were playing, this tall, lanky guy with a very broad smile came in. I always had just really protective zones about anybody breaking into rehearsals. But his smile won me over. And so we sat through it, we shook hands, got to know him a little better. And a little better after that, he continued to drop in. Well, this young man who was a sophomore, so two years my junior, passed away just in February at 62. You would know him in his advancement through life as the key figure in a great series of novels and a movie that was put out with Kirk Cameron, the Left Behind series. He would have been the pilot, is it Rayford Steele? His name's Brad Johnson. And he passed away, in my opinion, before his prime, and yet you know what we teach on. It was prime time for him to come into the presence of the Lord. The reason that I'm saying this, in lieu of where we're at, is one of the most outstanding testimonies that I was continuing to find myself reading, is that he was always pointing to the Lord leaves behind like eight kids, I think, married all of these years, probably clocked into 30. And so if you find, if you would, an opportunity to review the Left Behind series, and especially in the movie format, that's the man. He also starred on a soap opera. He also was in a major motion picture as well, an A6 intruder pilot in the Vietnam War era. I only knew him through what I now know was a spiritual entreatment by being where I was at. And the thing that I'm sharing with you right now is I know that in his faith, he was challenged by going against the culture of Hollywood, but he did it. And I'm just amazed that in the context of this as well, he heard a lot of things against his faith, against the Lord, against the church. And to the end, and with his family, he took another step. This is a segue to return back here right now of one that would even have been so impressionable to any who knew him or even to those colleagues in films that they might 
say, then why bother with God? If God was so big in his life, why could not God take care of him to give him a longer life? Answers can't be found. But it simply moved me to correlate with both this, that as a young man, he was willing to take the insults and the injuries of being a man of God and going to the limit of his life at 62 years of age. And many of us, not saying you would have a, a clue, nor did I, the statement about his life was bold and it was wonderful. And that being said, in this, what Solomon's doing right now is bold and wonderful and aggressive. And it's all for God. And it's motivational to those that both understand his authority, but are also compelled in the lineage of his faith, knitted to David, this is a worthy work. This is a man who is glorifying God. And this is what he does after an insult by a family friend. Building the house of the Lord and his own house, the Milo, the wall of Jerusalem, Hazor, Megiddo, and Gezer. 16 declares, Pharaoh king of Egypt had gone up and taken Gezer and burned it with fire and killed the Canaanites who dwelt in the city and had given it as a dowry to his daughter, Solomon's wife. He married politically, not a wise thing to do, advancing on. And Solomon built Gezer, Lower Beth Haran, Balath, and Tadmor in the wilderness, in the land of Judah. And all the storage cities that Solomon had cities for, his chariots, and cities for the Calvary. And whatever Solomon desired to build in Jerusalem, in Lebanon, and in all the land of his dominion. He's completing outside of the temple work all of the areas that would be essential in establishing the boundaries of the kingdom proper. And it's a massive construction project reaching to Judah all the way up through what we would call the area of both Jerusalem and all of the surrounding areas, Galilee, by car, you know, a good hour and a half, too, to get there. And all of that region spreading as far as his eyes certainly could see, as his chariots could go, was all his. And he's now employing himself by motivating others taking no offense to the offense, rather he builds walls as fences. He's inspiring. That is the type of person that I would desire to be as well in the hardships that accommodates our faith. Hardships accommodate our faith. Well, that doesn't sound like a great accommodation. Well, now that you know that accommodates our faith, then you can say, oh, so that's a part of it. Faith has, at times, the requirement to be accommodated by hardships, a lot of hardships, a lot of things to do, a lot of things to be mindful of. 
as you can see, it doesn't seem that globally things are getting a whole lot better. That's not God's fault. He's given us clarity on the way things will be towards the end and to his second coming. We need to be alert. And whatever it is that we are going through, we do need to summon strength from the Lord that we do not take things more seriously than we should except the seriousness of the Lord's will that we work hard to the time in which he calls us home. I believe that Brad, as I was citing, worked really hard to the time that he was called home. And the testimonies that I read seem to indicate nothing less than him giving his very best. And just a surprise to me, how could I have missed this? Well, maybe because I was continuing on with a singular focus that there's stuff to do for the Lord. Solomon right now, though, is seen as an organizer. And some of you, like me, need to be organized. You saw a display of that today as we brought the kids up. That was consummate organization. It wasn't me. It's Christy. It was the Sunday school department. I was taking cues. I was doing the best I could. I'm not saying the best I've ever done, but I was taking cues. And I was relying people who had similar weaknesses, the same affliction, and Dennis came up. He took a step forward. He could have said, nay, brother, I haven't got a word, haven't got a voice. And he came up, brought me relief, and most importantly, he brought a confidence that I appreciate in praying over our Sunday school. While the cities are being right now fortified, that means there was nothing much to them. Solomon had given much in the 20 cities to Hiram, but he's taking these on and he's building them and dedicating them to the Lord is the idea here. All in the land that was under his dominion, verse 20, all the peoples who were left of the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites who were not of the children of Israel that That is, their descendants who were left in the land after them, whom the children of Israel had not been able to destroy completely. From these, Solomon raised forced labor, as it is to this day. A distinguishing word. For the unbeliever, life is really hard because it is forced labor. You got to do what you got to do because it's got to get done. And there's nobody that can help you because you haven't tapped into the resources of the God who is your present help. There's a distinguishing term here in terms of the forced labor because we'll see or we can equate that the other is a voluntary force. That's who you guys are. You're really not forced to do anything. You're given opportunity to do everything that the Lord puts on your heart to do, seasoned in prayer and able to be expressed within the church. And it's not simply doing anything. It's doing what the Lord, in harmony with the church, is putting on your heart to be able to do. Sometimes that takes great patience, maturity, things in which he opens that door for you. 
But for a world system which these tribal people, these nations represent, you're going into forced labor. There will be a time in which, as the Lord returns with His church, there will be a forced labor. There will be enforced righteousness. And yet there will be those who, with the Lord, the church in particular, will be a force that is both voluntary and highly, exceedingly, powerfully spiritual and perfected. Because we did it right here, and we get the opportunity to return to Him in heaven and ultimately return to earth with Him. Altogether different. A world to govern for a thousand years with Him. A reign of righteousness that because we handled it well here and in faith with the Spirit of God in our hearts, it makes all the difference in the world with how we navigate the remaining balance of our tenure right now. The descendants of these tribes that actually should have been exterminated and in some allotment of grace, they were preserved. They become the forced labor to serve Solomon at his pleasure because he's pleasing to the Lord in what is getting done. It says, as this verse 22 continues to build, but of the children of Israel, Solomon made no forced labors because they were men of war and his servants, his officers, his captains, commanders of his chariots and his cavalry. Others were chiefs of the, off, the officials who were over Solomon's work, 550 who ruled over the people who did the work. And so this actually is showing us that those who were obviously Israelites and who were serving the, the king at discretion of what had been put on his heart to do are left in charge of much to do and many people to oversee. It's really amazing when you look at a church and understand that it's a very highly organized expression of the Lord. How this stuff gets done, how worship gets put together, bulletins get printed. We have this wonderful, in my opinion, edition where we can project lyrics. I enjoy that. We can do the things that lead us to the beach every week because there is a labor force, not forced labor. People that just say, what can I do? We had our college-age men hit the beach at about, I believe, 5.45, maybe 5 o'clock, actually, because they said, what can we do? I said, can you move logs? Do you guys know how to use chainsaws? So chainsaws came out and muscles came out, muscles and chainsaws, and I think there were more muscles and chainsaws. And a path was cleared to be able to have the microphones and the speakers brought down. And there was a place for everybody to be able to sit. Those logs that remained became backrests for some of us. Because the desire of the Lord had been put upon them. And as Solomon saw, they were serving him. Even as he is a picture of one worthy to be served. 
None of them were threatened. I came down and I was so impressed. Sweat on their brow. Bulging biceps. I had less ability to appreciate in my biceps, but I said, man, those guys are strong. Working together as team members. This is what's going on. To the fulfillment of what ultimately has been the charge of Solomon because he didn't take it personally with what Hiram had criticized in saying, really, this is it? This is all you got? This is what you're giving to me? He pressed on. And so it says in verse 24, Pharaoh's daughter came up from the city of David to her house, which Solomon had built for her, then he built the Milo. Milo is a term that archaeologically means perhaps a retaining wall of what stones would have been plentiful back then. But compared to the temple or the walls of Jerusalem, they would have been almost artifact. They would have been an ancient attempt to build a barrier wall. Ultimately, David would take the initiative to take on Jerusalem, take it from the Jebusites, and they would ultimately relinquish hold on this. But the Milo right now is where he's rebuilding it, changing things, reinforcing it. He's doing basically a repristination of something that his father would have seen, would have known of. And sometimes that's not unusual and should be expected that the Lord does a repristination of a work that's starting to show cracks, starting to fall apart, easily broached. Which is why when we read Revelation, we see that the Lord is telling the churches, he that has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit has to say. For us to be able to say, I want to take note of that, Lord. Wait, there's just two churches right now that are in commendation. Church of Philadelphia? Really? Church of Smyrna? The church is getting crushed and persecuted. The church that's demonstrating love as you see it. What about the others? They're getting my corrective word. The church today, having been read, lukewarm. The church has, in today's culture, a lukewarmness. I'm not saying here. I am saying, though, that on a large scale, there are churches that are lukewarm about God. They're warming up to the persuasions of the world. They're cooling down, literally, on the things that God desires for them to be hot for, really charged. And so this tells us right now in this alliance, he's married, he's providing a house for the daughter of Pharaoh, and it says in verse 25, three times a year Solomon offered burnt offerings and peace offerings on the altar which he had built for the Lord, and he burned incense with them on the altar that was before the Lord, so he finished the temple. A review. King Solomon also built a fleet of ships at Izion Geber, which is near Elath on the shore of the Red Sea and in the land of Edom. And then Hiram sent his servants with the fleet seamen who knew the sea to work with the servants of Solomon, and they went to Ophir. 
and acquired 420 talents of gold from there and brought it to King Solomon. Because of Solomon's discretion to not take offense at the remarks of Hiram, he still has Hiram as a friend and one who, to the conclusion of this, is making provision. Do you know how important that is? That if we can spare an unnecessary offense by not taking offense, the productivity that someone can still contribute. We've all probably experienced within church life the bye-byes. You just don't see them anymore. Some are because the call of God has been placed upon them to do work elsewhere. That's great. Some of them are because there was a breach in the fellowship. There was a fence that was taken. There was never any intention, but there was also never any conversation to come to terms with it. Or there was simply a carelessness in reaction or responding. It's sometimes better to be both deaf and mute. When the agencies of frail humanity come upon you and you're just not sure what to say, probably it's wise to say nothing then at all. Be one who can offer blessings, thanksgiving. When we look back on David's life, you need to understand Solomon was very aware that he was disrespected by his brothers. David questioned why they would be that way to him, mean. But there's never any account of David by how he was treated, reciprocating by what he would do. He would eventually gain his brothers in favor, but it would take at least a 10 to 13 year period before they would join him and probably have to retract all of those things that they had said and done and refuted before their father. When a giant in 1 Samuel chapter 17 hurls insults and accusations against Israel, that offended David, but the greater offense was what it meant when in that blasphemy, we could call it, he was offending God, and David said, that is not acceptable. Will no one do anything? And David took that upon himself to say, I'm going to handle this. This will not be acceptable. And those are important decisions to be able to make, and Solomon would have known the assertive discipline of his father in regard to how, as a young man, he would not tolerate such insult to God. In chapter 17, we can see how methodically David sorted things out and as well assessed who he was in God, believing no one of the army would come with him, but he had confidence that with God, he would be able to do all that God wanted in taking care of that blasphemer, Goliath. A couple of points simply to leave you with that may be for us as well. Words of wisdom. Chapter 4 of Ephesians, 
verse 29, these are just what I believe are highlights on what you might be able to go away with today and save a friendship. Bring somebody along that actually doesn't want to ever leave. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification. It doesn't say what is good for necessary destruction. It's building somebody up. That it may impart, notice this word, grace to the hearers. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Notice the next verses. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Hiram, you scoundrel, you never knew that you would look at what I gave you in generosity and you would insult me, your king, essentially, the greater king. Solomon never responded back, just kept utilizing him and encouraging him. He had a friend we can save right now for life. Let me take you to another area. Move over to Philippians 2.14. What do you do when you've been hit so hard with insult and you're injured and you feel like quitting like all of us have, maybe still do? What do you do? Here's what you do. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may, may become blameless and harmless, children of God, without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice, Paul citing this, in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain, Paul always kept his focus on what God's expectation was of him in dealing with personalities that were not only unique, but in opposition to who he was. And this is an important discipline. Don't complain. Don't find yourself in disputes that will only complicate your life and sever that which God wants you to hold on to. 4.13, how could you do this? How are you able to, with the injury that you have suffered from and what has been spoken about you, or denied and what you gave with a glad heart, sacrificially, here's how you do it. I can do all things, 13th verse, 4th chapter Philippians, through Christ who strengthens me. That's a verse to claim and to apply. I can't do it. But through Christ who strengthens me, I can. And you'll see God do it because he cares about the very person who's been careless with you. Colossians 3.23. Here's how you keep the workforce going without feeling like forced labor. You labor in the power of the Holy Spirit, and you do so, and this is a great verse, that whatever you do, do it heartily, 
as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. Well, what about that guy? Here's what it says about that guy, about that gal, about the others. He who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done. And there's no partiality. You don't have to worry about it. Everybody gets what it is the Lord has determined is the sowing of the flesh. And the only thing that saves us, as we studied in Psalms, the mercy of the Lord endures forever. He's been merciful to you. We can be merciful to others, and we should. Go to 4.6, if you would. Closing here. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. There's one person, doesn't say everyone, one person emphasized here that you ought to know how to answer. And in so doing, it says, with grace, seasoned with salt. How can you preserve somebody who perhaps is salty, a term that's used to convey a mouth that doesn't have refinement, an emotion that's spilled out in their moment of frustration. Every single one of us has this as a discipline that falls incumbent upon us. You can read the life of David, and you can know certainly in the 17th chapter of 1 Samuel that he was radical for God. And the language that he used was not among his brethren, He was hurt by them. But what if on that day, in the sorrow that he experienced, the disgrace that his brothers were trying to bring to him, he said, that does it. I'm picking up the bags that I left at the gatekeepers, and I'm going back to dad, and I'm going to tell on him. He just said, show me that giant. Let me at him. He's not going to insult that way to God and get away with it. And whether the army is with me or not, I have one who will allow me to prevail. I've had enough practice with bears and lions. I can take on this big guy. That's a fallback on what seemingly is the impossible that David knew was completely possible. The present tense scriptures that are given are disciplined scriptures. Every single one of us can do better at making someone else better. Can you make somebody else better today when all they've done has been a source of bitterness in your life? We can all do better. You take a step back, you seal the mouth, ears open, take a walk with God, come back and see what he has inspired That is both humility and accomplishment. And I really do believe that with regard to this, which again is something that I I believe, if I had to sum it all up, it's in the title. Insulting remarks inspire accomplishing results. If you give it to God, you'll see that that provocateur was not your enemy. 
you'll see that God was moving you to be even better equipped by relying more on him, less on yourself, and not taking it so personal that you give up on what it is you're to be doing. We're going to pray right now and enjoy our worship in concluding the service. And so Everest will pray us out today. If you have need for prayer on what you're going through, then just come on up here and take a seat following the worship service. We have men, sisters with eyes on these chairs. They will pray for you. I'll be glad to pray for you. Usually I'm the door greeter. Nobody comes though. Wah, I feel alone and left there. I never go there going, nobody wants to see me. It's because I look in and go, wow, everybody loves each other. I don't leave going, nobody wanted to shake hands with me. Why bother coming next week? <laughs>